0: Glad to have you join us now for in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard, and Michael and I are connected via Zoom here. I hope that we'll get to do this face to face one day, Michael. Who knows, huh?
1: Yeah, it's it's um, it's a strange world. Uh, I just <laughs> did a concert from Kansas City for a group in Hong Kong, which means really? we did the concert at five o'clock in the morning on Zoom. Okay,
0: I want to see Michael Carter at 5 a.m. <laughs> it's weird. No, you know, let me say this, Wayne. No, you don't want to see. Hey, coming up today, we have a special guest joining us in a few moments. Dr. Tom Schreiner will be here talking about 1st uh, and 2nd Peter and Jude. He's written a commentary on those books, and uh, I, I know you love talking to people like this.
1: I do, and I actually know Tom. Uh, he's on the CSB team, so he's a, uh, you know, One of those scholars who also has a pastor's heart. He's at
0: uh, Southern Seminary up in Louisville. Great, great brother. And then in the second half today, we'll have uh, Molly McHugh here talking about the Four Project. This goes back a number of years ago we introduced this. It'll be interesting to catch up with Molly on it.
1: Yeah, and she she is a great songwriter,
0: um, um, a musician. um, Yeah, she'll be fun to talk to. Hey, before we start, you were telling me that uh, you've been studying one single word mm-hmm. in the scriptures. What mm-hmm. is that word? Well, it's uh, amen,
1: and, uh, and, and and actually, I've, I've been studying it just in the gospel because Jesus uses it in a, a way that no one ever used it. He, he says, we all know what amen means. It's, it's mm-hmm. Hebrew. It means I agree with you, or right, you, know, you, yeah. you say amen at the end of things. And um, and so for years and years I've been saying, well, you know, Jesus uses it in a you know particular way that no one no one else does, and all of the literature says the same thing. I've been reading art tons of articles on it, and so last night I actually started working through all of the, you know, about two hundred places where he will say Amen. I say to you, King James translates it verily, verily. NIV translates it, I tell you the truth. People don't really know how to translate it because it's unusual mm-hmm. the way he does it. So, um, and I've I found even just in Matthew, he does it. He uses the word amen three different ways to my ear, and um, and so yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm knee right, deep well, in that that minutia right now, and it's uh, it's right. I,
0: which is right where I love to be. Well, we'll expect a major new book on that uh, in the future, Mike, if that's not too much to expect from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, our interview with Dr. Schreiner coming up in a moment, but a song from Michael Card. Stranger on the Shore. Why does it fit mm. what we're talking about, Mike?
1: Well, this is the second Miraculous Catch of Fish post-resurrection appearance. This is actually the first song I ever wrote. Is it? Uh, yeah. I wrote this for Bill Lane. Bill gave me the outline to a service a sermon he was doing on John 21 and... Uh, it's I'm like you, Wayne. It's one of my favorite passages. They, they see Jesus standing on the shore. They don't recognize mm-hmm. him. Children, you haven't caught any fish, have you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of those marvelous uh, post-resurrection appearances where at first they don't recognize him.
2: In the early morning mist, he saw a stranger on the seashore He somehow seemed familiar, asking what the night had brought. With taut anticipation then, he listened to his order. And pulling in the net, found more than they had ever caught. The one he loved first recognized, the stranger there was Jesus. He alone remembered, this had happened once before The one who had denied him, who had once walked on the water Jumped in and swam to him, to be confronted on the shore You need to be confronted by the stranger on the shore You need to have Him search your soul You need to hear the call love, the fish upon the coals The laughter and the joy At once more being all together They didn't realize That he was searching all their souls Then came the painful questions That would pierce the soul of Simon A threefold chance to reaffirm The love he had denied The gentle eyes that saw his heart And waited for an answer Had seen the look upon his face The moment he had lied You need to be confronted By the stranger on the shore You need to have him search your soul For the stranger On the shore Inside your heart
0: Thank you, Michael. I'm so glad that we get to include your music on this podcast. It just wouldn't be right not to do that, so... Thanks for that. And we have a very special guest joining us now, someone we've never had on the podcast before. Do you want to do the honors here? He was part of the CSB
1: uh, translation team, and he has a brand-new commentary out on 1st and 2nd Peter and Jude. Uh, But uh, Dr. Thomas Schreiner, uh, one of my heroes, thanks for
0: joining us.
3: Uh, My pleasure, Michael. Great to be with you.
0: Yeah. Tell us about your, um, your grandfather, Michael. We were, we were having this conversation with Tom here just before we began. I think it would be interesting to listeners to hear this as well because uh, Dr. Schreiner is a professor at uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, that has a, a past with, uh, with the Card family.
1: Yeah, my grandfather was a, um, uh, went to the seminary there before the First World War. Yeah, I had uh, nothing but good things to say about it. Southern Seminary in Louisville is an amazing place.
0: How long have you been there Dr. Schreiner?
3: I've been there 24 years. Oh. Amazingly enough. Wow. I, I never thought I'd end up there because I'm I'm from Salem, Oregon. So <laughs> Wow. Louisville, Kentucky and the Southern Baptists were the farthest thing from my mind growing okay. up. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, one thing you've learned is you've learned how to pronounce Louisville correctly, so <laughs>
3: I guess it's in the water after
1: you've been there for a
0: while. <laughs> I see. Okay. Well, I want to hear the two of you talk about uh, Peter. So, Michael, let's let's jump in here.
1: Well, just in general, uh, Doctor Schreiner, I'm interested in uh, the life situation of uh, of these letters and how they speak to our life situation. There there seems to be an awful lot that 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 they have in common with false teaching, and all the rest in our time. And what, I mean, what, what's your response to that?
3: Yeah, I mean, especially in Second Peter and Jude, uh, false teaching is the uh, presenting issue. It's, it's the, main, and the, the main problem. And, and the interesting thing about both of the letters is we're not told a lot about defective theology, per se, but the false teaching shows up in uh, defective living, living mm. in a a way where uh they're not they're they're living licentiously right they're they they may they, one interesting theory is m- perhaps they read and understood or, or encountered Paul's theology of grace and distorted it and thought it doesn't matter uh how we live or or what we do and and of course Paul wouldn't have gr- agreed with that either but uh both uh Peter and Jude are are very strong in saying that's that's not that's not orthodoxy. Orthodoxy also leads to orthopraxy, right right living, godly living. Not of, of course that not not they're not talking about perfection, but it seems as if the opponents have no concern at all about uh, living a, a godly life, and both both Jude and Second Peter uh, refute that idea.
1: So was it sort of a situational morality?
3: Well, I, I think uh, yes, it was probably situational, but it is, it's possible that they believed now that we're now that we are we have the spirit and we've experienced God's grace, everything we do is inspired by the spirit, and is in the realm of grace. So. It's okay. It may look wrong. It may look wrong to you, they uh, might say to their opponents, but, but, but the Holy Spirit's leading us, and, and uh, God, God in His grace has taken over our lives. So uh, everything we do is, is right, even if it looks wrong to you.
1: <laughs> is that a result of maybe a sort of a skewed understanding of who Jesus is or the lordship of Jesus?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, it's uh, it's taking a good teaching of Jesus that we think of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Grace is granted to all, how beautiful and wonderful that is. And yet Jesus also emphasized very strongly that it's, uh, it's only those who do his will, finally, who will uh, abide in his presence. And immediately we have to say in our culture, of course Jesus wasn't talking about perfection when he when he was saying that. Mm-hmm. but he did say, Jesus did teach depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. and I think I think Peter and Jude would both say, look you're you're following uh a, afoul of what Jesus said there. Jesus did teach that uh you you know false prophets. And again, isn't it interesting? In, in uh, Matthew seven, you know, Jesus doesn't indict the false prophets for their teaching. He says they prophesied in my name, they cast out demons, they did miracles, but he says, "Depart from me, you workers of iniquity." And really, hmm. I think I think Jude and Peter are, are really saying the same thing Jesus taught there.
0: Hmm. Uh, Tom, what what do we know about Jesus? What what would we be missing if we didn't have First and Second Peter?
3: Yeah. I mean, in one way, you could say if you look at the whole New Testament, Jude and Second Peter are they're, they're amongst the most, uh, uh, if I can put it this way, unpopular books in the New Testament. <laughs> if you understand what I'm saying, really, right? Second and Third John, Jude and Second Peter, they're not they're not books people quickly turn to. Mm. I don't. I don't think the books say anything dramatically different from what we find in the rest of the New Testament. But they certainly, they certainly emphasize, you know, we just talked about this in the teaching of Jesus. They emphasize in a distinctive way the the importance of godly living. And I suppose we could say, especially with Second Peter chapter three, I think there Peter answers a question. And I don't know if any other Text answers the question: What about what about the delay of Jesus' coming? Mm. So, Second Peter three answers that question well, right? First of all, the Lord the Lord the Lord is giving more time for people to repent. Yeah, and and secondly, remember one day with the Lord is a thousand years. I always say to my students, "Does it seem like a long time? <laughs> it's been two days, two days." <laughs> <laughs> two days is not a long time in god's estimation. No. And and then another I think interesting thing to think about uh, an interesting thing to think about is um the we are to pray come lord jesus but that's to be balanced by the by the recognition that a delay means more people are getting saved. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And I think Peter tells us that in second peter chapter 3. Mhm.
1: Do do you think Peter knows he's going to die when he's writing Second Peter?
3: I, I do, because of chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. I think Peter, I mean, Second Peter was written sometime in the 60s, uh-huh. and uh, actually we we know, and I think the tradition is accurate, that Peter was put to death in the 60s. Uh, I think the tradition is right, that he was put to death in Rome, and he makes it very clear, and, and I think he's reflecting here on John chapter 21, where... Jesus predicted in that great scene by the uh, Sea of Galilee. He predicted yeah. that Peter, Peter would be led in ways he didn't want to be led at the yeah. end of his life, and uh,
1: he'll stretch so out your I, hands. Peter
3: says, "Stretch out your hands." And 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 the tradition is that he was crucified upside down. I, I think that tradition is probably right. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't we don't know that for sure, but mm-hmm. I think that's probably right. And clearly, in Second Peter, Peter says, "Look, my life's." My life's almost over. Before I go, I want to remind you of Mm -hmm. these things. And so it it makes, uh, you know, the last words, the final testaments, so to speak, of a a man are very significant.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I was just looking at those verses in chapter 1, around about verse 14 and on, knowing that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has also shown me, and I will also make every effort that after my departure— you may be able to recall these things at any time. Well, that's quite a charge.
3: And the wonderful thing is we have those words today. Yeah. yeah. We it's, can recall them and, and uh, be stirred up by a way of reminder as well. And, and it's, a, it's a good reminder. At least many of us have read all these words many times, and we might say, well, why, why should I listen to this again? Well, we need the reminders. We, yeah. we tend to forget.
1: Of of all his uh, time with Jesus, um, it, it seems to me, if I'm remembering this correctly, it's it's the only the only time with Jesus he refers to is um, when they were with him during the transfiguration. In Second Peter, he talks about them being with him, uh, the voice that came from heaven when, when we were with him on the holy mountain. Um, that if that's true, that must have been. The defining moment for Peter, not the washing of his feet or um, I mean is that am I reading that correctly or, um, or am, am I isagitating or exegeting?
3: Well I think I would say a couple of things. he does in first Peter 5 he says he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Uh, but, you know he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't describe that to us uh-huh. but suffering of course suffering plays a big role in first Peter. I think we could all we could also say I think that moment that moment on the transfiguration was uh, transfiguring the Peter and so speak. Sort of mm. but that it was unforgettable. And but I but I think there's also a purpose, a particular purpose why it's in Second Peter because the opponents are doubting the second coming, and very this I think this is fascinating. Peter. Looks back on the Transfiguration and he says, the, "Jesus's transformation on the mountain is a prelude. It's a, it's an advance. Uh, it's like a trailer in a movie, right? Anticipating <clears throat> the second coming. Yeah, you know. So I think Peter says we we know he's coming again, and we know because we've seen him. We've seen him glorified, and it is it, interesting that." they couldn't they couldn't bear i mean they all fell asleep they they couldn't bear to see jesus in all his glory his mm-hmm. glory on earth was veiled and 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 i think peter is saying to the readers it's really going to happen i wow. saw i was on that mountain i saw this
2: mm-hmm. and
3: uh this is an this is an advance uh warning and promise of what's to come and 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 you need to believe this so yes i think it was an it was an event that was imprinted on Peter's mind. And I think it had a particular function for the, the uh, false teachers who were denying the mm-hmm. second coming. Well,
0: mm-hmm. it'd be imprinted on our, mind, on our mind if we were there, right? I mean, that's it's, an incredible experience. Absolutely.
3: I mean, we think of the fact that only uh, three, the three, uh, Peter, James, and John experienced that and the other apostles didn't. And, mm-hmm. What a privilege.
0: Yeah.
1: Hmm. If these letters uh, speak to the same problems in the church today as uh, Peter was dealing with, you know, in the first century, I mean, what, what primarily is, Peter's, was, is Peter saying to the church today? What are these letters saying to us, especially about the person of Jesus?
3: You know, in 1 Peter, he talks about, in, in relationship to Jesus, suffering and then glory, suffering and then glory. And I think that's Peter's message to his readers. In First Peter 2, he talks about, citing Isaiah, the great Isaiah 53 chapter, that Jesus suffered and, and died for our sins. But he also says Jesus' suffering is an example to us. And I think that's a powerful message to the church today, that we we shouldn't be surprised none none of us wants to suffer, none of us desire suffering. I don't <laughs> mm-hmm. but we we ought not to be surprised that first comes suffering, first comes discrimination, uh, uh, verbal abuse, mistreatment and and then and then comes then comes glory, so I think it's interesting, right, if you look at first Peter. He talks about slaves and, and not masters, and people ask that question. Why? Well, I think one of the reasons why is Peter's looking in, in his letter at those who are on the underside of authority and more likely to be oppressed.
2: Hmm.
3: And, and, and that's why he gives six verses, I think, to the wives and one to the husbands,
2: hmm. because
3: wives, wives are more like, likely to be oppressed and 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 remember, Peter talks about unbelieving husbands in particular, shabbily sometimes it happens at the hands of believing husbands but though those those who are experiencing oppression and mistreatment and suffering and and I think peter's writing he, he's writing to say, you know jesus went through that mm. does, does, and so we could say does does when we're suffering does does God understand job Job at one point I don't remember the chapter, but Job says something like, "Do you have flesh like we have flesh? Do you do you feel our suffering?" And mm-hmm. well, well, now we know the answer to that an answer. Job didn't know, and that is, yes, God became man, and he, there is suffering and then glory. So I think we receive encouragement and strength in our suffering. Jesus, Jesus is our elder brother. He's our mm-hmm. He's our example. He, of course, he suffered uniquely in burying our sins, but but he, but he also functions as an example. Right, that famous passage that we're to walk in his steps is in First Peter.
0: Well, this has been rich, and I just wondered before we leave, uh, Doctor Schreiner, just comment on the role of a commentary in the life of a Christian. I know that you've written not just for uh, pastors, but you've written this for laymen as well, haven't you?
3: Yes. Yes. Well, I think I think commentaries can help in your private study. You know, you don't have to read you don't have to read the whole thing in a uh, the whole commentary, right? To get help, maybe you just have a question on a particular passage that you want to look up, or maybe you're in a home group study and you want a resource, or perhaps uh, you're teaching a Sunday school class or some form of adult education. So commentaries can be used in a variety of ways. They're different from many books, there's no no necessity to read the whole thing. <clears throat> Although I'd be happy if you did.
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet you would. <laughs> well, we're happy you wrote it. We really are. It's in the Christian Standard Commentary Series, 1st and 2nd Peter and Jude. Uh, Thomas R. Schreiner is the author, has been our guest here with Michael Card, and we're so grateful for this.
1: Well, I, I want you to to know, Dr. Schreiner, that I mean, we're acknowledging our debt to you for all of the uh, the years it must have taken to uh, research this and write this, and uh, we don't take that for granted. Um, thank you so much for uh, for giving us this wonderful commentary.
3: Well, it's it's a delight to be with you, and I have to say, Michael, your, your ministry has encouraged me greatly over the years. I'm
0: so thankful for you. Well, thanks. Mike, we're going to hear your song now, Not That Kind of King. You want to set this up for us?
1: Uh, well, this is just um, a song that— talks about what people's expectations were and how Jesus absolutely failed to meet almost every one of those expectations. <laughs> they, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Schreiner's been talking about suffering and the uh, the purposefulness and the meaning behind suffering. They certainly didn't think Jesus would be a king that would suffer. He's not that kind of king, right? They thought mm-hmm. he would come and kill the Romans. Well, he's not that kind of king. He's a king that came and died for the Romans. So it's just a song about... Uh, about how Jesus really um, shattered everyone's expectations. He wasn't mm-hmm. the king they were
0: looking for. Well, again, with thanks to our guest, here's Michael Card, not that kind of king.
2: Oh but Jesus you're not that kind of king And you may wonder why Though he could call the angels He will not say a thing Because you see he's not that kind of king Because you see he's not that kind of king Because you see he's not that kind of king king.
0: Thank you, Michael. It's been a great session so far, but we've come to the halfway point. If what you're hearing has prompted you to go deeper, look online for more from Michael that can help. You'll find music, books, and news about upcoming conferences at michaelcard.com. We're always glad to hear from listeners. Post a comment on the Michael Card Facebook page or send your comments, questions, and song requests via email to in the studio at michaelcard.com. If you're new to this podcast, be sure to look through the podcast archive for an extensive collection of classic and current editions to hear and enjoy. Coming up, more music and conversation after this message in the studio with Michael Card. The Ancient Faith Study Bible is this month's featured resource. I'm always looking for ways to explore the meaning of the scriptures and the CSB
1: Ancient Faith Study Bible is a new edition with roots in the teaching from the early followers of Christ. This edition features study notes and commentary from the writings of church
0: fathers to help you understand and apply their rich biblical insights to your life today. Search for Ancient Faith Study Bible at csbible.com and read more about this unique study tool. And when you order, apply your 30% discount on the CSB purchase through LifeWay type in the studio as one word in the promotion code for your 30% discount with LifeWay. The Ancient Faith Study Bible. Study notes, biographies, and more from the early leaders in the Christian faith that add rich perspective as you go deep into God's word.
1: Today's church can be renewed by listening to the insights and wisdom of
0: yesterday's saints. Search for Ancient Faith Study Bible now at csbible.com.
1: Wayne, we uh, got a, a good comment from Jack. Uh, he says, uh, I look forward to each Monday for the release of the podcast. I'm a fan for 39 years, as well as a brother in the Lord and physicist in another career. I'd like to know uh-huh. more about that, Jack. Yeah, uh, He says, God bless you and your family, and thank you for ministering to me through your music and teaching over these last four decades. How about that? Wow. Huh? How That's about pretty that? encouraging.
0: Coming up, we're going to be hearing from Molly McHugh, talking about the By Four Project. We've chosen Scribbling in the Sand to be the lead-in song. You and John Ketching's on cello for mm. this song, but why, Mike? Well, this, this is a, a moment where Jesus uh,
1: demonstrates this remarkable creativity he has uh, by engineering this, uh, the, again, this moment where he uses silence— um, to create a, a frame around this time, and he gets people's attention, and he and he uh, he saves the life of the woman uh, that they were about to stone. But he makes a wonderful point, and scribbling in the sand became our metaphor for uh, creativity, Uh-huh. which leads yeah.
0: us into the By4 project, which we'll talk exactly. about with Molly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Amidst a mob of madmen she stood frightened and alone
1: as hateful
2: voices hissed at him that she should now be stoned but in the air around him hung a vast and wordless love who knows what luminous lesson he was in the middle of First he faced the fury of their self-righteous scorn. But then he stooped and at once became the calm eye of the storm. It was his wordless answer to their dark and cruel demand. A lifetime in a moment as he scribbled in the sand. It was silence, it was music, it was art, it was absurd. He stooped and shouted volumes without saying a single word. The same finger of the strong hand that had written ten commands. For now simply scribbling in the sand. In the space of space and time, it scribbled in the sand. They came to hear and see as much as they could understand. Now, bound by cords of kindness, they couldn't cast a single stone. And Jesus and the woman found that they were all alone. It was silence, it was music, it was art, it was absurd He stooped and shouted volumes without saying a single word The same finger of the strong hand that had written ten commands For now simply scribbling in the sand Could that same finger come And trace my soul's sacred sand And make some unexpected space Where I could understand That my own condemnation pierced And broke that gentle hand That scratched the words I'll never know Written in the sand It was silence, it was music, it was art, it was absurd. He stooped and shouted volumes without saying a single word. The same finger of the strong hand that had written ten commands. For now was simply scribbling in the sand. The same finger of the strong hand that had written Ten Commands. For now, simply scribbling in the sand.
0: All right, thank you, Mike. Hey, several years ago, we talked about the By4 project, and just a couple of podcasts ago, we replayed that original interview mm-hmm. so that many of our listeners heard about the By4 project. And if you missed it, you can go in the archive and listen to that episode. But Molly McHugh is back with us today. Yeah, she's
1: one of my creative uh, heroines. So uh, I'm anxious to hear her e- explain to us what's happened with the By4 projects since uh, all those years ago.
4: Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm I'm so excited to give an update about the project and and how it's how it's grown in different directions. Um, if I if I can bring up a memory, Mike, I remember you saying when we launched by four um, that we might be failing, but if if so, I hope we're failing in the right direction. And I think there's kind <laughs> of a there's a there's, I don't know if you remember saying that, but I I remember you saying that and. There's kind of a, um, I think, an honesty and a freedom in that that, you know, a lot of creativity is iteration, and we can we can sometimes um, we want to do well with the um, the resources we're given and plan as best we can, but there's also kind of a mystery sometimes to it, and we don't always know how it will turn out or where it will land. So. Um.
1: Yeah, you were talking Molly about the uh, the parable, which actually is the only parable I think that Jesus explains, the parable of the sower. And uh, that you saw in in that uh, sort of the mystery of the seed, um, the mystery of what we tried to do or, or trying to do with By Four.
4: Yeah, you know, I, the parable that, yeah comes to mind a lot when I think through By Four and other kind of incubation incubation projects is, um, it's in Mark uh, 24, 26, it's the parable of the growing seed. Um, and Jesus talks about a few different um, seed parables, but this one is only found in Mark, um, and he does... He does explain it, um, but it's a—it's kind of a simple story. It's about a farmer who throws some seed on the ground, and then he goes about his his life, and um, he doesn't exactly know how, but the ground um, yields this yields this seed, and it, it grows. So there's kind of a mystery, and then there's this process. There's a, a stalk, and then the head, and then the kernel in the head, and then there's a there's a harvest. The story itself seems kind of simple, but I think there's some some really um, important lessons that we can learn. And when Jesus explains it, he says, this is how the kingdom works. Um, I guess what I what I think about most is that the the human agency is really not the center of the story. You know, the human is a partner in the story, but the human is partnering with a mystery, this mysterious process. You know, he throws his feet on the ground. He doesn't exactly know what's going on. He just goes about his life. Um, but then this you know, this this seed actually comes up. So there's this kind of partnering with with a mystery, um, and then there's this this very deliberate explanation of process, right? There's first the stalk, then the head, then the kernel in the head. And I also feel like you know, process is, of course, a very important part of the kingdom and a part of any creative uh, endeavor that we do. Um, and then, of course, at the very end, there's a um, there's a harvest, you know, too that comes. So Anyway, I think I think um, thinking through these um, these these lessons of you know humans partnering with the mysterious and then really recognizing that we have a small part, but our agency is not really the the center of the story, mm-hmm. and then recognizing process those are those are important pieces that I've been kind of um, a pondering uh, as I ponder this this parable of the growing seed and how a lot of what we plant goes in new directions that maybe we didn't
0: expect. That's good. Hey Molly, for those who didn't hear our previous conversations, just real quickly, "by four means what, and what's the goal of "by" and "for"?
4: So we we called this project um, "by four" because uh, it was intended to be by the church for the church, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, and there were a couple of main themes um, for this. Um, one of one of them was to um, kind of have a have a first fruits. And a kind of a a sacrificial approach to to arts and art making. Um, Sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, there is kind of a focus on commerce that kind of gets in the middle of how artists and churches interact. Oh yeah, and that's fine. I think we can. We want to support artists, you know, and and songwriters and um, visual artists and um, you know dancers and, and things for the work that they do. This is more like a yes and, kind of like, could we also have an interaction that's not um, fully based on commerce in the middle, right? Could everybody give something, everybody take something and everybody connect um, in a different kind of way together. So, so we were just experimenting. We ended up landing on um, a model of doing artist retreats um, where churches would help support um, the time and, um, you know, uh, and resources for the actual um, retreats and the retreat time and food and that kind of stuff, and perhaps even housing. And then artists would um, create something during that time and be able to give it back um, to the churches or perhaps host an event where churches could um, raise money for tickets, that kind of thing, so that pretty much everyone gave something, everyone received something. Um, And then, of course, in the middle of all of that, there's a, a huge community piece, too, that happens um but that that's that was kind of a long explanation no, that's but that's good. kind of where we landed. That's yeah, good. kind of that, where we landed.
0: Interesting to hear how it's progressed Mike
1: Well, we initially started out pretty much focusing on uh on music. But right. fairly quickly, uh the model shifted, didn't it, Molly?
4: It did. Yeah, it shifted and I I think I don't I don't really I don't really know if it was a if it was a purposeful purposeful shift. I think um, we we were also kind of just experimenting in different directions. I think we did a couple more projects um, that, were, um, that were based on um, um, music and, and musicians um, interacting together and creating um, different kinds of um, music. But once we started to do retreats with uh, visual artists, and by we, I want to get really specific here that um, Brian Moss, who was one of the original songwriters on the Original sweet sacrifice by four project. Um, he really did the lion's share of the work. I'm I'm using the royal we here. I don't want to take credit for all the work <laughs> that he did to to keep this keep this going. But he basically did all the the legwork um, to keep these artist retreats going. So when he started to do um, retreats that uh, invited visual artists in, we had some really interesting responses. Um, I remember talking with one artist, and he may have even Brian may have told me this story. An artist was very um very emotional that anyone would even like tears that anyone would even offer them the opportunity to go away um and not have to worry about money for a couple of weeks and that they would get to you know meet with a an, a you know a mentor artist and actually create something um that was really impactful you know to hear um to hear someone get so emotional that that someone would be interested in investing in them as an artist and, and investing in them as a person.
1: Well, because as a visual artist, they hadn't really been included in the conversation in the church so much, right?
4: Often that's the case. I, I see that changing and I, I'm hopeful that, that projects like this can help um, encourage churches to embrace other kinds of artistic languages. It's, it's interesting to me, like what is allowed in churches and what is not allowed for different, different, you know, arts. You walk into a lot of places and you know, music is very common, and there's a there's a culture that has been built for years and years around making musicians feel welcome and making them feel like what they have to contribute is very valuable. But there are lots of other kinds of of artists, and um, I feel like they also reflect who God is, um, and and so it's a it's a way for congregations to learn new languages, um, and and a way for these artists to also contribute um, contribute their art too. So. Mm.
1: Well, historically, I mean, in the church, we did have, you know, Michelangelo. There's one one example. We had visual uh, heroes earlier in the church. I think it's time for us to get behind um, get behind the arts again, uh, the visual arts, and you guys have done a great job of doing that.
4: Thank you. You know, and I, I actually, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. There have been, you know, times throughout the history of the church. You know, I mean, some of that comes from, uh, you know, in, times when not many people were able to read for instance and in different Mm -hmm. cultures and parts of the world. So, so things had to be represented visually to be able to tell the story, you know, how are we telling this story? Um, How can we, how can we do this um, in a, in a welcome inclusive way? Um, You know, using other types of arts too. It is interesting. Like architecture, for instance, is also very, that's a, that's very well accepted, but but maybe not painting or live painting or, you know, Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me interject that uh, we will put a link to the BIFOR project on our website in our program notes for this podcast so that our listeners can see some of the images of the artists that we're talking about. Uh, that would be very inspiring to see that. Um, you mentioned Molly, uh, Brian Moss. Isn't he connected with a form of BIFOR at Fuller Seminary now?
4: He is. So one of the most exciting things that happened after years of you know planning and, and running these independent retreats Um, Is that uh, Brian connected with uh, the folks at Fuller, uh, who that Armo Fuller Seminary that was in the northwest part of the United States, where we were in Seattle, Um, and they decided to uh, to actually um, use the model and and start running artist artist retreats um, out of Fuller, and that program has changed a little bit since it started, um, but it's now part of the Brem Center at Fuller. And I believe they actually have um, it's it's a uh, it's broadened to the point where you can be anywhere. Um, I'm not sure if they're doing things internationally, but um, basically anywhere nationally for sure in mm-hmm. the United States. Um, and you can be a part of one of these artist communities. Um, and it's it's actually grown a ton with the um, support from Fuller, and it's it's very exciting. So Shannon Siegler is the woman who um, is now the. The executive director at the Brem Center, and she's been a huge proponent of this. Um, that was that happened in about 2015, so we're about mm-hmm. five six years into um, into that, um, and it's been wonderful to see how it's flourished.
1: I'm interested in hearing you uh, tell us w- what are you doing now, in creatively, what w- uh, what are you, how are you spending your time now?
4: Well, That is a great question. <laughs> um, so I am I am still doing. That. What am I doing now? So I I am still doing um, creative projects with churches. Um, I actually am on the East Coast now. I I, um, I moved out um, from Seattle. Um, I'm in Brooklyn. Moved out to do a little bit of graduate work, um, exploring the arts, and then moved up um, into Brooklyn. So um, I've done I've done I'm kind of doing the same thing, Mike. Actually, um, not working with uh, with the um, you know the the folks at Fuller that are doing these artist retreats, but. Several churches have asked, I think, just by way of doing this kind of work, several churches have asked, you know, as I've come in and helped out with worship as an interim worship leader, um, could you uh-huh. also help us start an arts program? Um, oh, I good. did that for mm. a church in Calgary and then another church in Bellevue, um, Washington. And I guess I just continue to do, um, you know, projects with churches like that to just looking for looking for ways to kind of make connections um, mm. with other other types of artists. Um, uh, you know, within the church um, and, and making connections.
0: So. Mm. Molly, how can we pray for this project uh, that it would uh, move forward and be of encouragement to more artists?
4: That is a that's a wonderful, wonderful question. I think, I think it really goes back to maybe what I mentioned uh, that I, I think is important from the the parable of the growing seed. Um, perhaps that um, I, you know, I would love to see. I would love to see this project um, and where it's grown be an example for other communities um, so that they could also experiment in new directions and trust that the growth will come um, and that God is working, even if they can't see it. So we, we certainly would, I think, love prayer for, for this project in particular, that um, these seeds that have been planted would grow and get deep roots and that the artists that are engaged um, with, uh, you know, with the Brem Center and with Fuller uh, will grow, but also that this would be an example for other communities. Yeah,
0: Well, this is such a great project. We're happy to give a little bit of attention to it here with the podcast. And Michael, I know you believe in this, the Buy Four Project. You have more notes mm-hmm. in our program notes uh, at michaelcard.com. We're going to close, Michael, with your song, Recapture Me. Do you see a connection here with the Recapture Me and what we're talking about?
1: Well, that's that's what art um, does. It uh, our imaginations need to be recaptured. And uh, I think uh, one of the things that makes Molly so um, effective in what she's doing, I think she understands the, the imagination and how it works. And so I uh, thanks Molly for spending some time with us. And uh, yeah, we'll play this song.
2: Go Recapture Me The bridge Between my Heart and Mind Recapture Me Recapture Me You come Across myself To find Recapture Me You come And knock On imagination's Door You come To show To know You is What eyes And ears Are for With ears That hear But not see, but can't perceive. Recapture me, your paradox and poetry. Recapture me, recapture me. They speak one sacred certainty. Recapture me. You come and knock on imagination's door. You come to show. Recapture me with sacred words, with silent words. Recapture me, recapture me. You're the living word that must be heard. Recapture me. Recapture me. Recapture me. Recapture me.
0: Joining Michael and Recapture Me, Steve, Mike Sell on bass, Ken Lewis, percussion, mm. and I think that was a very fitting song to follow that up uh, with. Molly here, Mike.
1: Yeah, uh, God really does knock on. Uh, well, uh, the the favorite metaphor is he, he knocks on our the door of our heart, but I think in some senses he knocks on the door of our imagination. Mm-hmm. He, uh, I mean, Jesus speaks in parables. The Bible, you know, isn't really so much theology and devotional. As it is, uh, songs and lyrics and poems and parables and narrative and uh, I think that's because God knows that our, our our imaginations need to be recaptured. So I think He yeah. speaks to that.
0: Yeah. Again, we've put information about the BIFOR Project in our program notes. I really hope our listeners will follow up on that. Yeah. Um, earlier, Tom Schreiner was with us. That uh, wonderful commentary that he's written on First wow. and Second Peter and Jude. Good stuff, huh?
1: Yeah, and and it's just always so. uh, uh, I don't have words for to describe what it's like to talk to someone who has invested so much time and has you know such that kind of a mind. Any sort of question, any direction you want to go with uh, first, second, Peter and Jude, he can. You know, he picks up the ball and just runs with it. Uh, Yeah, I I have a
0: great admiration for people like Tom. And I know you'll be teaching tonight at a church in Nashville as we speak here, so we'll be yes. praying about that. And Thank uh, you. Thank you. Well, thank you for what you invest in, uh, in all of our lives through this podcast, Mike.
1: Well, thanks, Wayne. Thanks for the encouragement. Thanks for the, you know, how many 30-some-odd years of working together,
0: uh, you and me and Joe. So God bless you guys. We're so glad you joined us for this session. It's our prayer that the music and conversation was used by God to grow your faith and enrich your understanding of the Christian life. If this is your experience, please share your reactions to this hour. Post a comment on the Michael Card Music Facebook page or send your reactions, questions, or song requests via email to michaelcard.com. Learn more about Michael's books, his music, and our podcast guest details at michaelcard.com and share what you've discovered on your favorite social media platform. We're glad for the partnership with our sponsors at the Christian Standard Bible. Visit csbible.com to learn more about the great Bible editions that can help you get serious with God's Word. This month, we're featuring the Ancient Faith Study Bible, a wonderful source of study notes, biographies, and more from the early leaders in the Christian faith that can add rich perspective as you go deep into God's Word. Search for the Ancient Faith Study Bible. When you order, use the promotion code in the studio, typed with no spaces, to receive your 30% discount on CSB purchases through LifeWay. The Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com. And now for all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Susan Sermon, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Carr.